Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 990, 990 episodes. That is a lot. Um, uh, by the way, if you're going to be in Portland, March 14, 15, 16, I'll be at uh, Helium, um, which is a comedy club in Portland, a very fine comedy club that I enjoy performing at. So uh, go online if you want to come to that and get tickets. You can go to portland.heliumcomedy.com to get uh, tickets for that. So uh, come on out. See some comedy. Started doing some music in the act. Uh, I hope it goes well. <laughs> Will it? <laughs> you won't know unless you come. All right. Let's talk about what other people are doing in the ID10T community events at ID10T.com. Angela writes, I want to share my super talented friend Gil's website. He is an established tattoo artist in San Diego and one of the best humans you will ever meet. He is branching out into apparel, mixing his love of Tiki and Disney. Pop over to TahitiGill.com. You're going to find fun Disney fan art, unique enamel pins, patches, stickers, tees, etc. Fun, unique, original artwork. Please stop by and check it out. All right, Angela, I will. Also, Toshi writes, I want to promote our World of Warcraft podcast, The Half Hill Report. It is a weekly fictional, lighthearted radio broadcast originating from the village of Half Hill in Pandaria uh, that we describe as a small town view of a very large world. We bring listeners, Warcraft news and stories in a short and fun Fun format, purely a passion project by two longtime Warcraft players that they started in January of 2018. Uh, we don't make any money doing this. We just want to share our love of the game with the Warcraft community and hope you will help us do this. You can find the show on all podcast services. And it's one of the things I love about the Warcraft community. It's just there's so much love and passion, and it is such a strong fan community. So um, I'm, I'm very happy to hear that, Toshi. Nice work. This episode of the ID10T Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Destiny is calling you, friends. It says, start a new website. Make it with Squarespace. Squarespace is going to give you the ability to customize the look and feel of your website in just a few simple clicks. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. So you don't... It, there's so much you don't have to think about or worry about. Powerful e-commerce functionality. You can sell anything you want. Analytics are going to help you see data and grow in real time. And then your search engine optimization is built right in. So it's everything you need. Free and secure hosting. Um, nothing to patch or upgrade ever. And 24-7 award-winning customer support. Keep dreaming, but make it a reality with a website from Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com slash ID10T for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code ID10T to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain Thank you to Squarespace for continuing to sponsor the ID10T podcast. This episode is uh, Deborah Ann Wool, who is um, a friend of mine and amazing, and uh, 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 and she's promoting Relics and Rarities, which is a show that she does, which you can see on YouTube and Twitch, um, and it's like um, it's basically like a like a D and D. Um, storytelling game walkthrough and she is the game master of it and Deb is rad um, she is in the movie Escape Room which came out in theaters in January and will be available to rent and buy soon if it's not already uh, which is a great horror movie and uh, I just think the world of her and uh, and her boyfriend EJ Scott who is uh, I've done his podcast. We talk about it. EJ EJ came with her, and so he uh, he drops into the podcast. But I love him too. I've known him for a very long time, and uh, and I just think they're great. I like them as a unit as well. I love them individually, and I love them as a unit. So it was really 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 cool to catch up with Deb uh, and EJ in uh, this episode number nine ninety of the ID Ten T podcast, which begins in five, four, three. 
two, and one. Initiating ID10T protocol. This process is, uh, of having a legitimate podcast room is literally weeks old. <laughs> In the nine years I've been doing the podcast, I the first chunk of time I had a portable setup. Then I squatted a studio at the E Channel where G4 was located. I squatted a studio there for a couple is years. That down by us? That's down by you, yeah. yeah. By LaFrayer. That's yeah. right. And it, literally across the street mm-hmm. it, was, it was. And then... Then when I was doing At Midnight, I was doing it in one conference room and then another <laughs> conference room. And then when At Midnight ended, I was doing it at my house for a couple years. And so this is – it took nine years to get an official, like, <laughs> podcast studio that um, – it feels a little strange. So, EJ, I know you do your podcast out of the kitchen, but just know that that's, that's how real podcasters do it. I have a few few years left to get my own. <laughs> to get your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Solar, so. Yeah. Which, by the way, for anyone listening, Scratch the Surface. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is, uh, which I've done. Yes. Which, uh, which was really fun. I've done a few times. You, have you done it a couple times? I, think a couple I mean, times. it is in your kitchen. I'm fairly accessible if you, if you, if you If you just go to get milk at it, you're like, well, I guess I'm doing the podcast now. Because it's... <laughs> There's a couple of moments he's been interviewing people I know, and when I walk in, like they don't want to ignore me because it's my house. Yes. <laughs> so I'm suddenly in the podcast. She does cameos. So she's yeah. like, hey, how are you? You know, that thing. Yeah. Yeah, Lydia, Lydia does the accidental cameos too. <laughs> yeah. And you never know. It's just like surprise, surprise wife. Yeah. You know, like Why she, not? Just, she just pops in sometimes <laughs> when she's walking by. Yeah, I want to listen to your Vincent D'Onofrio uh, episode. Oh, yeah. He talks for over. Two hours with He's me. He's got some stories. Yeah, yeah. Vincent, Vincent spins a yarn. He's one of those <laughs> kinds of guys. He's rad. Mm-hmm. I like the Vincent D'Onofrio. He's very good. And he's, and he's like, for as huge a star as he is, the fact that he's so supportive of us, like, tiny little <laughs> people is so cool. Well, that's how you can tell, like, who the artists are. Yeah. You know, it's like, you meet some people, they might be a little more obsessed with fame and themselves, and then you meet... The real artists, and it doesn't matter how famous they get or how yeah. successful they are, they're always going to gravitate toward the craft of stuff yeah. and the artistry of stuff. And that's why I love that guy because <laughs> when you look at his history of roles, he just picks really great actor roles. And he's good in all of them. When his first movie was a Kubrick film. Right. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> and his second was Adventures in Babysitter. There you go. <laughs> oh, my God. That's right. Yeah. Is, as Thor, is that like actually his yeah. name in the movie? Yeah, kind of. Kind of. But I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say he should have been nominated for his performance <laughs> in Men in Black. Because yeah. the performance yeah. of being a bug in a human skin and doing that believably, mm-hmm. that's fucking acting. Yeah. It was amazing. Yes. Absolutely amazing. Yes. We had a choice of like Vincent D'Onofrio movies to watch one night. And we we're like, we're watching Men in Black because that's the best one. It's it's amazing. Like his, it, it really looks like his skin is <gasps> is spun off the axis of his skeleton, <laughs> and he can barely fit in this human suit. Yeah, it's like he lost weight. Yeah, yeah. It's just like loose pants. Yeah, yeah. If that was Daniel Day Lewis, Daniel Day Lewis would have had a giant cockroach put in his body <laughs> right, right, right. to inhabit uh, the character. And the Oscar would have been 
Right. Then, 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 then he would have gotten go. the, then he would have gotten the Oscar. But Deb, we're here to talk about you today. <laughs> and you uh you are such a fine supporter of the nerdly arts. Yay. That uh now <laughs> Were you did just can I just get a little bit of uh-huh. can I just let, let's just get some some deb history here oh because boy. I don't were you always into gaming and D&D and stuff or did you evolve into that So I always wanted to be into it but um I I had a I had a rough social start mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well, though that's the building blocks <laughs> the building for being block. a good D&D player <laughs> um, so yeah I didn't I didn't really have any friends when I was younger and yep. so I didn't have anyone to play with uh, but I was always curious about it and I was into other nerdly things like Mystery Science Theater was my favorite television show good. and I now follow the riff tracks and good. Um, oh what's uh, the other guys do uh, Cinema Titanic it's, it's Cinematic Titanic Cinematic Titanic so yeah that's Joel see, and those yeah, guys we yeah we see some of that as well and um, so yeah I've been sort of following that my whole life uh, but yeah and then of course I was a theater nerd um, so yeah I got into D&D in my 20s so a late start mm-hmm. for most sort of Dungeons and Dragons never too late fair. it's never too never late never too late that's a big thing I'm trying to spread now it's like we can take the intimidation factor off of it a little bit it's just a fun game to like recapture your inner child yeah know? because the la- the last podcast last week's podcast was Kyle Newman and oh, we great. just yeah. we talked all, all, all about that, and he he played when he was younger, and mm-hmm. then rekindled in mm-hmm. 2015, and so it really is. It's just one of those games that it's never too late to. Yeah. It's never too late to social <laughs> gameplay to get together with your friends, especially and, in a screen world. I feel like yeah, to, like look people in the eye and pretend to be other people. You but know? you've you've had some pretty epic games though, because yeah. I've been invited, and I and and the times that I've been invited, I was always out of town. But there's like. Didn't didn't Steve Young come play with you? He was supposed to, and at the last minute he couldn't. And poor EJ had to fill in on his like level five wizard, which is <laughs> ridiculously for complex a six hour game. for six hour game. A six hour game. Oh my gosh! With Gimple and Sonequa and her husband and David, David yes, right, David. I can't remember his last name, but yeah, writes yeah, good writer. And uh, but yeah, so it was a long epic game there. Um, and then I play with a bunch of my friends. I have at least like three or four games that are kind of running simultaneously mm-hmm. so that I can play as much as I want. And then, yeah, yeah. And then I did this series recently. So that was a like huge four month prep and shooting chunk of my life, which was amazing. Which is uh, Relics and Rarities? Relics and Rarities. Which, yeah. if people watch it, it. It almost looks like you're giving a psychic reading. Does it? <laughs> yeah. Well, you start to tell, like, because you start, it's it's really interesting. It labels you as the storyteller. Yeah. And it's just, there's a very steampunky thing, and you just start telling people about the world, and it almost seems like, are you communicating with the dead? Like, it's it's really fun. That's very funny. Well, the first episode is they have to find a prophet and save her so they can get the prophecy that's going to stop the world from ending. So but it's it kind ta- of in it, that it, world. But it, but it really takes, it takes a... Uh, and and I liked the I liked the moniker of storyteller. Yeah, it was is a really interesting way yeah. to uh, to label that and sort of open it up because in a way that's that's really what you that's what you are yeah. as the sort of the game master. But it do you like that role? Because I never liked that. I like to play. Like right. I don't like to guide everything. It's just too much responsibility. I mean, I like I like both. I I initially got into dungeon mastering because I wanted to play more, and mm-hmm. you can't just be like, "Hey, dungeon master, can you please prep four games a week for me?" Right. You know. <laughs> right. So right. Right. It was a way to expand how often I played, and I was so I loved this game, and all I wanted to do was talk about it. 
And in order to do that, I had to kind of make my friends play with me. Mm-hmm. So dungeon mastering was a way to say, hey, I want to introduce this to you and hopefully you'll get obsessed and then we can talk about it all the time. What types of characters do you like to play? I generally like fighters. Okay. Um, I don't. I recently made an arcane trickster, which is a good mix for me because I like the kind of creative um, magic play rather than like evocation magic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still have my my you know hand crossbow and my rapier, and I can still kind of do the standard attack stuff. That's funny, yeah, because Lydia likes to play fighters too, yeah. and I think that's very telling about our personalities because I always play wizards, and mm. so. You know, like when we problem solve, Lydia's are like, let's just get in there and fucking attack. And I'm like, let's talk complicatedly about it uh, and see if we can dispel this situation with words. Right. So it it very much reflects what our personality types are. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. It was interesting. So Julia, who's on Relics and Rarities and was a friend that I got to play and is now playing with me, her first... When I was talking to her about what kind of character she would want to play, she said, I want to do something kind of nonviolent. I'd like to be able to use my words first. And like, and she sort of had that idea. And then as we've started to play over the last three years, she's one of the most violent players I've ever played with. <laughs> but she doesn't have any weapons. She plays a bard, you know? It's like yep. she doesn't necessarily have that as her skill on her sheet. But she finds these super creative ways to like even with her trash talk like a vicious mockery for her is like vicious <laughs> yeah that's you really that's the other thing about playing social games in real life is that you really get a sense of who people are like I knew my mom had like a kind of a dark sense of humor <laughs> but it wasn't until I played cards against of humani- against humanity <laughs> with her that I realized she has a really filthy sense of, like like really filthy sense of humor because she was the one dropping <laughs> The worst cards, right, right? And being and sort of like throwing right. up her hands. Everyone's like, "Oh, you win." Yeah, I don't know. I'm yeah. not. I can't top that. Yeah, there so, were a few moments that Julia's husband was like, "I don't even know you anymore." <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good way to find out, yeah. even if you're just testing out yeah. your friends and relatives, just to kind of get a sense <laughs> of how are they? How would we do in an apocalypse? What would they do? Uh, you yep, know. Yep. Yep. Um, but it's it's been it's interesting to hear that you. To, to hear you say, like, I didn't have a lot of friends when I was growing up. Because to me, you're such a nice, friendly person. <laughs> I just have a hard time picturing that. I guess it's um, – I mean, look, I've spent my whole life trying to figure out what all that was about. Um, I think it had to do with growing up. I didn't really want to grow up. I wanted to be a kid forever. Mm-hmm. And when you're 12, 13, everybody else wants to grow up. They yes. want to drink. They want to smoke. They want to be mature. And I was still doing cartwheels and singing in the hallway. And I think – at the time, I didn't understand why everybody hated me so much, and I just thought there must be something like just innately wrong with me. And so that's been a long process of trying to like let go of that a little. You bit. know, it's just yeah. If you you're not supposed to show exuberance from thirteen yes, to eighteen, one hundred percent, because you're you're trying to look cool, right? <laughs> but the good news is, if you can just survive that five years. <laughs> From 18 to 90, right. it's like you want the exuberance back, you right. know, like you want. So it's just like it's just getting through that one weird period where everyone's going through weird hormonal changes. And then I feel like from like 25 until now, all I've done is try to get back to that 12 year old. That's what's so funny to me about this sort of the journey that I think most humans take, which is you are simultaneously trying to constantly make up for whatever happened to yeah. you. When you're sort of when your when your identities like you're when you hit puberty, it's almost like the concrete solidifies, mm-hmm. and 
and sort of whatever's written in that you're constantly trying to fix because you always yeah. have that vision in your head of you being that age. Yeah, I th- I think it's about self consciousness. It's like the moment we become sort of self aware yes. and we realize that people are looking at us and thinking things when they look at us. Yes. Before that, you don't really have that awareness, and when that happens, you suddenly start to change who you are to accommodate everyone around you, and you lose a bit the essence of who you were as a kid. And kind of fuck everyone around you. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you kind of have to, and not in a negative. Way, but I just mean like instead of worrying about trying to uh, make everyone else happy or fit into everyone else's mold, I think it benefits mm-hmm. people like you and me who had these weird social experiences when we were younger because I think it forces us to think outside the box and not necessarily have to care or rely on those social situations and and really embrace more who we are rather than conforming to what other people want. Potentially. I mean, I did I did for a while. I definitely like oh, yeah, yeah, shut up too. and was like, oh, no one wants to hear what I have to say, so I'm going to be a really quiet girl who is only nice all the time. And now, you know, I think people are surprised to hear, well, you know, you're so friendly. How could you not have had friends? And some of that is a reaction to that because right. I thought – well, no one, no one likes me, so I have to be the nicest person you grew empathy. ever met. Yeah, you became empathetic. But sometimes empathetic, but also sometimes disregarding my own thoughts and feelings about things in right. favor of someone else's to prevent them from hating me. Oh, yeah, that's codependency. <laughs> you know, yeah. So that's it, positives and negatives. I also could be a complete asshole, you know, as, sure. a, as a white person and, and relatively attractive. Like, I could have been a terrible human being with yeah. all of that privilege. And I think in some ways that experience forced me to really go, hey, look – you know, the, people experience life in all different ways, and, Whoa, and it gives th- give you empathy. Then how ironic! Your character arc in True Blood was so <laughs> ironic. Then it was basically this really sheltered, yeah, sort of beaten down young woman who then becomes insanely powerful and then completely rebels. Right. As a result of that, that's kind of interesting <laughs> that that was your character arc. Yeah, I guess so. I I didn't rebel as a kid, so that was that was my rebellion, like in yeah. my early twenties, to sort of play that through the character because I didn't get to do it in my real life. So it was fun to sort of experiment with it in a really safe environment, yeah. like fiction. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I I still am stuck on this idea that we are not we we spend so much of our adult lives trying to make up for things that happened mm-hmm. to us when we were like 13 yeah. but then also recapture yeah. that time when we were 13 as well like to so cuz those seem like two sort of separate things you're trying to fix mm. but then embrace mm-hmm. at the same time well, but maybe that's i mean maybe embracing is how you fix it right. you know you kind of accept and and i think as as we grow, everyone around us grows. You know, I don't actually hold any hard feelings against the people who, you know, upset me or anything at that time period because we were all kids. Did you have you talked to them since then? Did you go no. to any reunions? No, that's too hard. <laughs> you know, I did that once. I uh, there was a there was a, a girl who was a vicious bully yeah. against you know like when I was in in, in junior high, and I was afraid of her, and yeah. she was just really mean and and. Uh, and I ran into her again probably when I was like 30. Um, and I was a little defensive at mm. first. And then she was like, hey, by the way, I just want to let you know I was a real asshole to you when you were younger. I was just having a rough time. Yeah. And you realize like, oh, the – you know, ki- kids have to learn to act out in that way. Uh, and a lot of times you, you look back and you go, oh, my God. I mean, yes, it sucks that these kids were bullies, but – 
what was their landscape? Yeah. Like, what are they trying to work through now? Yeah. I mean, if they were if they were dealing with those kinds of issues back then, <laughs> like, how did how did they get past those? And I was very happy that this girl was able to get past it and and have a, a emotionally healthy life. But uh, yeah, you just never know. I bet a lot of those people would be they they probably wouldn't even register. I mean, I don't know. I mean, some would know. <laughs> some would know. Uh, but I I think it has to do with. Yeah, feeling alone, as we all do at that age, and sort of not mob mentality, but when you're in a group, it's easier to do mean things than it is to do it face-to-face with one person. Like, I got a lot of terrible notes left for me, which is kind of a really passive way to to hurt someone, Mm because you don't have to directly take responsibility for it. Yeah. But I don't know. I I think I was – again, I've done a lot of thinking about this. I don't don't think it was anything I did – I just think I was an easy target. You're an easy target. I think it's easier to attack the kid who's going to cry than to attack the kid who's going to fight back. Not only that, but – and especially we see this with social media too. But the kid who cries, people almost want to attack them more. Maybe. You know what I mean? Like it, it it's a strange – I don't know if it's just a weird animalistic yeah. lizard brain thing. But it's like attack the weak thing. <laughs> it's right, weak. We right, have to throw right, it out right. of the pack as opposed to – you know, it, it, it really does take a, a – a higher a higher form of thinking and and being evolved to nurture someone yeah. who is in pain especially especially at that age. Yeah, well we we recently tried to watch Bo Burnham's 8th grade and I got about 20 minutes in and just had like a full I couldn't had a panic attack. We, we turned it off cuz well it was just something it was hitting me too too strong strongly too there was a there yeah too personal there's really something kind of ancient in me that just kind of like roared up and i went whoa i can't deal with this on like a tuesday night when i have to work <laughs> tomorrow you know like we'll watch this again bringing up too many things time. so it's one of those movies that like i haven't seen but i know is incredible yeah. because it affected me so strongly yeah but there's something about the the scene i got to was the scene in the pool i don't know if anybody's seen it where she's invited to this party that no one wants her at and she goes and there's this long tracking shot of her walking into the pool and there's all these people around her having fun and they're all ignoring her. But they know she's there. So it's this weird feeling of being hated and being so conspicuous and also being completely invisible. At the that same that time. feeling of being isolated in a yeah. public space yeah. is really fucked up. You know that everyone is thinking hateful things about you, but they're completely ignoring your existence at the same time. I that's a a bizarre unique experience yeah but i think a lot of people feel that now maybe you know just in terms of because that's that can be again that can be like what social media feels like it's like it's crowded but isolating at the same time well and to take this in a positive direction from that the wonderful thing about relics and rarities is that there's been this lovely positive supportive response to it I was especially nervous as a female GM because, you know, there's been issues with gaming community and allowing women to kind of, right. you know, be present in that. And But it has been overwhelmingly wonderful, at least I don't, what I've read. Yeah, I don't think the misogyny in that case is the is by yeah. far the majority of but people. But it can often be the loudest. It is the loudest, yeah. smallest percentage, but yeah. the most aggressive percentage. Yes. <laughs> so, again, you know, like if you – and and I, that's why I think it's important for you to do stuff like this because yeah. the more you do it, the more it shows other young women, oh, I can do this too. Step forward. And then the more th- those numbers are supported, the more it sort yeah. of mutes out all the other angry voices and it just becomes the norm. Yeah. And it's been great because Relics and Rarities is basically like 12-year-old Deborah from start to finish. <laughs> And for the first week after it was airing, I kind of – I kept shaking. I couldn't stop myself from shaking all the time. 
And I think it was just because it was a validation of that little girl who had never been liked before. And I was like, here she is. (laughs) She's singing and doing cartwheels and playing a game. And everyone liked it. And I was like, oh, it's okay to like that little girl again. Yeah, she's being validated now. She's being validated. And it was nice to feel like that was getting released a little bit. So now the big question is... I love I, this is I love this question Uh-oh. and I hope I hope I hope you appreciate it. If um, if you had the ability to go back and undo mm. all of that, uh, would you? Or do you feel like it sucked, but it made me who I am, and I am stronger and more empathetic, and it made me all these wonderful things that I am now? So I accept and embrace that that's what I went through to become who I am. look i (laughs) i wouldn't wish that experience on my worst enemy right um even you know watching that movie and stuff like that i think a big response to it as well was like i wouldn't i still don't know what to tell that girl even as a grown-up i don't know how to fix that problem i don't know how to help someone feel better in that situation Yes, it made me who I am today. And for the most part, I like who I am today. So that's a good thing. I I would maybe mitigate it a bit. I mean, I wouldn't say that anyone should choose that. Yeah. But if it happens and yeah. you are able to get through it and then ultimately become stronger and inspire other people yeah. and make sure that – because I think, you know, for me, that's why I was – that's why I've always been as – positive and like all nerds welcome kind of thing because yeah. I, I was I went through a lot of rough stuff in grade school too and I never wanted anyone to feel like right. that again and so I guess for me I, I, I feel like it was worth it for me to go through that if I can create a world where a lot of other people feel accepted and sure. feel okay and feel supported so that it you know because if I hadn't gone through that who like maybe I wouldn't have been in a in, in a good headspace now possibly and and i mean i agree I, I think that's my experience as well but i've also come in you know known or i don't have known them but i've i've there are a lot of people who had that same experience that went the opposite direction that are exactly. not the gatekeepers that's right that are saying hey you were mean to me when i liked this stuff when i was a kid now that you're into it you're a poser or you're not really and now they're keeping everybody out so it's the sort of the same experience that depending on who you are. They're not really keeping anybody out. They're not. You know what I mean? Like, but that's a, but that's a sad way to live. It is, but that's, but you don't, I just don't have to engage in that. (laughs) You know, you can just, I mean, the great thing, the great thing is, is that yes, if someone goes out of their way to say something shitty to Mm. you, that is on them and that is their responsibility. And they're trying to spew their baggage and venom onto you to bring you down to their level. But in as much as you allow them to do that, you don't have to contribute to that. You can you can just sure. You I can guess, block. You can ignore. You can you know don't give them that power. Sure. I guess I'm. I guess my point is, the same grade school experience spawned two very different reactions. Yes. So if we put too much of the responsibility on that experience, mm-hmm. it, you can go either way. Whereas I like to think that something about who I am at my core, my parents, all these things yes. that that allowed me to use that experience in a positive way. Whereas right. someone else who maybe doesn't have as many positive influences might use that experience in a negative way. Yeah. But then when kids are super popular in grade school, <laughs> like that, that can also have a, a pretty devastating negative effect too, because it, 
You yeah. know, it's like that that can fuck with your identity and yeah. that can fuck with your I mean, the the bottom line is most people just don't have an easy time when yeah. they're growing up, you know, <laughs> like even kids that you think have it all figured out Very probably true. don't. Very true. Um, but again, you know, I don't want you to think that I'm saying it's great that you had this horrible experience, <laughs> but because it's obviously it sucks and it's deeply affecting and, and I, I, I understand it yeah. and I went through it too, but I just, you know, my hope is that if people are going through it, that they're able to grow from it and do something positive with yes. it and not do what what you're saying which yeah. is which is you know then re-expressing yeah. you know like re-expressing that over and over and over again Funny, i think you're you're right that it's then our responsibility as people who have come through it on the other side to be inc- inclusive and open and say yes come and that's where i think par- the parenting comes in yeah. and the the sort of the emotional dna stuff is mm-hmm. how you're able to how you're able to get through it. Yeah. And, you know, if a shitty kid has a shitty parent, <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, then, yeah, my heart goes out to you, you yes. know, in a way. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's why, again, I think it's really important to, you know, I almost feel like some of us have more responsibility to try to put positivity yeah. in the world just to help anyone who's just trying to find something to grasp yeah. onto, yeah. you know. And. I know you're quite a bit younger than I am, so you 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 probably your young life you did you probably did have internet stuff. But in the '80s, when I was in grade school and high school and stuff, it was just like, well, I got a couple friends, yeah. you know, like I'll just talk to them, I guess. You know, well, I, I grew up in the '90s, and we didn't have you, your friends weren't on the internet. Not that wasn't yet. something, right. you know. I right. think Facebook came out when I was in college or something like that. Yeah. So all of this is really new actually mm-hmm. we're talking 10 15 years yep. that any of this stuff has been around so so yeah i mean my my generation is right on that cusp where we grew up without internet but we were young enough when it started to, for it to be a significant influence right. in our lives uh so i don't i don't i don't default to the internet for my friend group mm-hmm. it is absolutely still people in my life yeah you know? it's so literally what, personally in my life what advice do you have for people who are going through a rough time or feel like they're being sort of oh, you know beaten down by the by the their social structure or whatever like you 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 must have some some words yeah. of wisdom i mean it's so hard when you're a kid i the only thing i've been able to come up with is is what we've been talking about which is that it's probably more about them than it is about you and having trying to hold on to your own not not giving up your identity because you've been told that it's no good and nobody likes it you know i'm gonna Um, gonna pitch you a crazy idea yeah are you ready for this Uh (laughs) i'm gonna pitch you a crazy idea you should write a book i should write a book i'm not kidding you know not not only just for for other people but for yourself maybe because i even if you never publish it yeah if you if you're able to uh if you're able to write a book that sort of walks through all that and, you know, what it feels like to feel um, bullied and then what you do with that and through gaming and through social interaction and through mm. – and, you know, this sort of idea of like always embracing cartwheels, you know, <laughs> yeah. I think has a has a positive message. I just – it's something I would th- – I think you should think about it because I think it would help – I think it would help a lot of people, but I think it would really help you too. I think you just named it. Is it Embracing Cartwheels? Is embracing Cartwheels. Yeah, book? Embrace the Cartwheel. What did you say it was before? You were like – you were saying like that always something and does the cartwheels. 
Oh, I was singing in the halls and doing cartwheels. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Singing in the halls and doing cartwheels. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I, I, I think. I still do cartwheels. Cartwheels are really fun. They are fun. It's like a full ex- extension of your body, which we don't, we never do as adults. We're always sitting with our arms crossed or our legs crossed, you know, and as kids, we're always, ah, you know, like energy is out and away from you and. So, yeah, I've been really... You're writing your introduction right now. I am right now. Yes, but I do. I feel like we all as adults need to, whether it's exercise or sports or dance or whatever you do, just something that, like, forces you to extend your limbs as far as they go, you Mm -hmm. know? Something as simple and physical as that, I think, is so... It just releases everything. I'm telling you, Deb. I think it's a good idea. I wrote a a fictional book. um, Well, a couple of them. But the one I'm thinking about is actually... I, I dedicated it to kids, you know, kids who are not yet ready to be teenagers because mm-hmm. that was the most important time in my life is sort of right before that happened and <clears throat> fictional, just about kids running around and playing make-believe and having fun. And um, I, I think what's so interesting about that time period is you kind of you can kind you're kind of aware you can see your childhood slipping away. You're conscious of the fact that you're changing. You have have one foot in childhood and one foot in adulthood, and it's like when do you make that choice to sort of transfer your weight? That's um, just such an interesting time period. I, I, I since then I have not experienced another one. Um, I don't know. Maybe you do with children or something like that between being a, an adult and then being mm-hmm. a parent in some yeah. way. That could be a transition. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't know that, that time period just really fascinates me. It is interesting. And it's also, it also, and I haven't read a ton about it. So I apologize if my facts are, uh, are wrong, but I've been just sort of glancing and kind of catching some headlines that Justin Bieber is now openly saying like, I'm really struggling with anxiety and depression and all sorts of weird emotional stuff. And so it's like, you know. Most people would look at that kid's childhood and be like, what the fuck does he have to, you know, he was a girl. And it's like, yeah, everyone, you know, it's, we we can't ignore what an important time period that is. Like you said, when you are becoming, it is that when, I think when you, and I imagine it's because of like hormones and puberty or whatever (laughs) that you become self-aware. And that is a very important time and mm. incre- like the most important time yeah. probably and so just to see that that someone like that is saying is is now openly saying like yeah i was really i'm really having a lot of problems it's brave it is it is it is but also it just shows you like most no one has an you know like yeah. no one has an easy time yeah. i would argue his is probably harder cuz oh, by a lot you know he had to do all of that on a public stage and with pressure from all sides and with a job i didn't have a job when i was 13 yeah exactly yeah, yeah the, the, you know it's like anything you get more of yeah is going to require more responsibility, more Ooh. stress, more – it doesn't matter if it's, you know, more money, more work, more relationships, more any, – anything external requires more responsibility. Yeah. You know? I mean like when you move from an apartment into a house, you probably realize <laughs> – yes. God, you I always thought, oh my god, I've always wanted to have a house and you have a house and it's like, fuck! No! <laughs> so much- Everything is broken! <laughs> And it's never fixed. And it's my fault. Nah, it's my responsibility now. Yeah, exactly. And then they open up a wall and then you're like, what did you find? $5,000 more work. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, you know, like every, everything's kind of uh, 
It's just trying to figure out how to how to embrace it and accept it and and just figure out how to move with life, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um. But uh, it, or did you shoot all the episodes of your show? Is it? Did you yeah. shoot all? Oh once yeah, you're we done? Sh- we shot them all in a week. So we did two a day with a day off in between. Um. Yeah. I mean. It, I mean. I, it was like a dream come true. I played. I played D and D for like like 40 hours oh <laughs> over God. one week or something like that. Um, I also, and I did, I did play testing of all of the episodes for the month before. So I had played all of the episodes at least once with a different group of people. So I, I just was in like D and D heaven for three months. <laughs> That's fantastic. It's great. It's so great. And one of my favorite things, I love playing the same D and D module with different groups because no one ever solves the problems the same way twice. Right. And I came up with this idea of using magical trinkets because a lot of the D- the magic items in D and D are super powerful. So it's a plus two sword, and it just kind of enhances your abilities. Mm-hmm. And I wanted stuff that like seemed really mundane, like a spool of thread, mm-hmm. but it's super, super strong and nearly invisible. So what it is, is it's not actually that powerful in and of itself, but it is if you use it in an interesting way. So I let them choose these trinkets before each episode, which allows them to creatively use them, but it completely changes how that adventure goes down. Um, the other groups chose different items, and so their adventures were completely different. You know, and that's what I think. I think the other superpower behind being a game master <laughs> or a DM or a storyteller or whatever you want to call it is that since you know, since you're sort of the, the god right. of that world, right. if someone makes a choice, you have to not react and go, fuck, are you sure you want to do that? Or, oh my God, what a great idea. Like, you well, have to be neutral. I mean, my, my answer to that is it's always the latter. It's always, oh my God, that's a great idea, even if it's a terrible idea. Yeah. Or even if it's scary and you don't even know how it's going to work out, you say, yes, absolutely, let's do it. Yeah, that's really fun. I mean, yeah. that's, a, that's a great, uh, that's a really great nuanced way to play with the game <laughs> as well. And that, as the sort of the, the master of the game... That's where you really, you know, because they only have to play with what you set before them. Yes. You know, so it's like as creative as they can be, (laughs) they only have the tools that you're giving them. So you really have to, I mean, it's, I guess in a way it's like being a director. You're basically a a director. A little bit. I mean, what I try to do, especially in a show like this, where I had to have everything written before because we shot so quickly. So it's not a free world and that they can go wherever they want at any time. But, so you know, I give them a quest. It's in one location, and they kind of have to stick to that. However, every single adventure, I wanted to make sure there were at least three different paths that they could choose to get to the end of that quest Mm -hmm. so that they had a lot of choice within the adventure to have free will. Mm -hmm. Uh, What that means is there's, like, two-thirds of the material in every single adventure was unused, which is great because I can use it later. Uh, But it is sort of fun to be like, well, which one are they going to pick? Mm-hmm. And are you uh, are you planning on doing more of these, or do you just now that you have the game like the <laughs> modules all set up? Like, are you? I would love to. I mean, I you know I know we're talking about a season two. That's really up to whether they think they can swing it at Geek and Sundry. Um, they're excited about it, and we'll keep talking. But I would I would love to do more. And then the movie that you uh, when does when does Escape Room come out? Oh, it was out in early January. It was out in early yeah, January. Oh, Liz and I watched it last night. Oh, yeah. It was so much fun because oh, Liz thanks. loves. She loves escape rooms. Okay. And I like them, <laughs> but I also don't like being locked in a room. Sure. So, like, there's a little, like, when I go do an escape room, I have to do a little bit of, like, prep work. A little, like, 
okay, it's okay. Like there's, if it, you know, yeah. you're not going to be locked in forever. If there's what a, a weirdo. You don't like being locked in rooms? <laughs> yeah, I'm such What's a wrong with you? Yeah. yeah. Whatever. I don't like being locked in a room and have to figure out how to get it. Lydia just like attacks it. Like yeah. she's just, she loves it. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there were a couple things in your movie where I was like, mm. oh God, he's got to crawl through the thing. You know, like I could feel I was having a visceral reaction to. sure. sure. Just imagining it was designed to do that. I yeah, think. yeah, yeah. I mean, like when I go, when I go, the times I've done the escape room, I'll just sort of casually converse with the people who work there to just try to like, like, oh, so tell me a little bit. Is it um, <laughs> any uh, any tight spaces? Just out of curiosity, you know, just sort of, uh, or is it, you know, like, oh yeah, it's this or yeah. this or this. But yeah. uh, I still, I still, I do enjoy doing them. Yeah. Uh, have you have you been? Do you guys go? Nope, I've never done an escape room. Really? Nope. Uh, it's the social aspect that, that scares me the most. I, I would have to go with people I know really well. Um, and I think the, like, the pressure to be like smart <laughs> in a yeah. time constraint, that's a little, that's a little much for me. I, you know, for me, D&D is an escape room. It's mm-hmm. setting up creative problems. But the nice thing is that in D&D, you can solve it in any way you want. Mm-hmm. Once you start doing it physically, there's like only one or two ways you can solve the problem. And then right. that, that restriction starts to get you know, my heart racing in a scary way. Um, I, I would, I would do one if I found the right group of people. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. D and D is my escape. That's a great, that's a great way to think about yeah. it. Cause it ultimately it's, you know, it's a safe way. Yeah. <laughs> it's a perfectly safe way it's to do that. Way. Just creative problems on me. I mean, do you, did you ever guess that you would work on so many things that revolve around fandoms? No. Um, I was a classical theater nerd, so I thought I was going to go to London and do Shakespeare for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, I got really lucky and, and True Blood happened and I moved to Daredevil right after that. But like, I'm not a vampire person. I'm not even really a comic book person. Um, those weren't things that I grew up admiring. Um, I've learned a lot about them having done those series. Uh, but yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I think now that the show is over and I'm I'm sort of available again. I can kind of go back to those early obsessions and, mm-hmm. and the classical theater and sort of see if I can make that a bigger part of my life again. There's a I don't know what it is, but I have a weird thing where I'll I'll watch a series and it's a lot of times I don't watch the last handful of episodes. Interesting. And that that happened with True Blood. I yeah. got to the last like couple episodes into the last season, then I stopped watching. And it also happened with Deadwood, I didn't watch the last mm. couple episodes for a couple years. Yeah. I mean, it's just like there are a few series that I just – I like living – I like being in the world. Yeah. And it's – and for some reason, like, I don't want to complete it because huh. then I feel like it's done. Interesting. And so it's sort of hard for me to – I mean, like, you know, obviously I watched all of Breaking Bad because I follow, I did the after show for right. it. So I had to watch <laughs> it. But if I hadn't, I probably would have waited the last few episodes because – there are just some shows that I just don't want to be done. Do you finish them years later? Like yeah. once it's kind of yeah, once w- and- once it's kind of passed, and I sort of feel like, all right, all right. I think maybe it's time. I'll just get <laughs> curious, and then I'll just sort of I can I could grieve now. I'm done. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. But yeah. there are some, uh, and that and that also happens with like Doctor Who when there's a Doctor mm-hmm. change. Like I don't watch right away because hmm. it's like. There's just something about shutting the door. The funny thing is, it's like, well, those episodes still exist. It's not like that you couldn't go back and experience it all again. But there's just something about the closure in my own mind of those things. So I actually still don't know how True Blood ends because I didn't watch the last few episodes. I'm like, because I was, I, I watched the whole series, uh-huh. you know. So it just, uh, 
it yeah I don't know I don't know what I don't know what that is no that's okay were you happy the way the show ended um I mean it's been enough time now I if I'm perfectly honest I I probably wouldn't have had Jessica get back together with Hoyt mm-hmm. um not because I didn't like that spoiler, spoiler alert geez. if it's if you haven't watched in the last <laughs> six years um you know what that's on me if I haven't <laughs> if I haven't watched by now the spoilers are my fault that's your fault yeah, yeah 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 um yeah I mean not because I didn't I didn't love that relationship I thought that was really a very cool story and you know I had a great time telling that story with Jim I just felt like I learned that we learned something about who Jessica was from that relationship and that she had moved on and changed. And Mm -hmm. it felt a little bit like reversing direction to me. Mm -hmm. Not that. And and I would have actually been perfectly happy if Jessica ended up with no man. Mm -hmm. You know, so much of her story was about her father and all the ideas that he had put in her head, the human father. Yep. And, um, you know, and then that relationship playing out a little bit with Bill in a different way. And I would have loved to have seen her just kind of supporting herself and excited about the woman that she was and i i don't know that i i love the idea that her story became about settling down yeah i mean especially because it seems like the psychology of that character would have been ultimately to accept who she was and not you know and not necessarily have to like you said not necessarily have to be with anybody it's like yeah, she came out of this bad relationship with her father, and then this weird relationship becoming a vampire, yeah. and then the various, you know, like went through sort of her wild time uh, mm-hmm. with um, uh, Ryan Quanton's character. Mm-hmm. Uh, why did I forget his character's name? <laughs> Jason. Jason. Uh, yeah, and uh, and then ultimately, it seems like she would have been like, okay, now I'm a strong, well-adjusted yeah. character, and I'm just going to kind of be on my own for a while. Well, and the, you know, losing losing a father figure like Bill again. Spoiler alert at the end there. Um, Fuck. That, you know, that's... I don't need to watch. <laughs> <laughs> you asked me about the ending. I did, I did, I <laughs> did, I did, I did. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a strong enough, that's a huge experience in a young person's life. And and that, that to me, would have been enough of an exploration and say that's her next stage. She's losing, you know, the quote-unquote men in her life who have been her support system are are literally in some ways leaving mm-hmm. and and this is about her taking a step into her own life and mm-hmm. and leaving that behind and fi- learning to trust herself and i don't know it ended up feeling a little bit like passing her from build from you know from right. hoyt to jason to bill back to hoyt and i you know i i if i had had my own choices i probably wouldn't have gone that direction and it well it, at the core of it though the show was basically like a vampire soap opera yeah. and so it's like that to me just feels like a textbook soap opera thing well, to do. Like, oh, let's just wrap them up and put them in this. And frankly, then it's all done. I mean, finales are impossible on almost all shows. There yes. are very few people who do finales, you know, in a really interesting, creative way. And it does feel like you have to wrap up a little bit. And something like that, relationships kind of happily coming to a close, is how all things end. Shakespeare did it terribly, <laughs> so many times, you know. Uh, so you know, I it's not as a I don't even mean it as a criticism against. What they ended up doing. I just know that for myself, when I thought about her story, I would have gone in a different direction. Well, since you are her, I feel like you can just say that's what <laughs> happens. Yeah, and no one can dispute that because that's what you get it was to all do. All for appearance sake, and she and Hoyt went their own ways. Later. You guys could just shoot us. You just shoot like a five minute video where you're like, Hoyt, uh, I've, I'm fine. I don't. I, you're nice. Yes, off to Alaska with you. Yeah, yeah you're nice, but um, I'm gonna go my own way yeah. and do my own thing. And you're just queen of Louisiana. 
Louisiana, princess yeah. of Louisiana. Yeah, and you just kind of ride off into the sunset mm-hmm. by yourself and be in your, your own support structure. <laughs> um, what else are you are you working on anything else now that you're excited about? No, <laughs> I am unemployed. Uh, you know, or fun employed, as someone told me I'm <laughs> supposed to call it. Um, but I'm trying to look at that as like available. <laughs> yeah. Know? When you're on a TV series, you know, while it's fantastic because you always have this job to look forward to, it also means you have very limited time in which you can fit in other things like film or theater. And so I really miss theater. I've done like one play since college and that that is not what I wanted to be doing with my career. And um, so now, yeah, now I'm, I've been meeting with a lot of people and auditioning and trying to find my way into these other mediums and explore them a little bit. Um, rather than sort of jumping right into television again, where, you know, for the next six years of your life, you're kind of in one place doing one thing. And um, unless something really special pops up, I think I'm going to focus on these other areas. And you're trying to write a book. And you're... Or I'm going to write a book, right? <laughs> well, that's why, like, especially when especially when performers are, um, you know, we, we are conditioned and bred to mm-hmm. think, like, if I am not working, I do not exist. I know. Obviously, there's the financial aspect of that. Right. Of course, you need to make money to survive. But also, our identities are so attached to our careers. And I feel like if there's a way to detach our identities from our careers, <laughs> and work is just a thing that we do because we enjoy it, mm-hmm. not because we have to do it mm-hmm. to feel validated, I think that's an important thing to try to learn. And I'm still trying to learn it, too. But I think in the time that we have off, we should always embrace that time mm. And develop passions and new skills and stuff or write a book or like, you know, I've been taking piano lessons and studying Italian, you know, in free time. And and that's just for me. And I think that's really important because like Jessica going off into the sunset on her (laughs) own, when you can do that, weirdly, I think it attracts the more work and more stuff Mm. in, in a way because you're not needy about it you know what i mean like you're comfortable with who you are and then when it comes it comes but you're essentially fulfilled and satisfied right and that's the goal it's like the goal shouldn't be to get something to be fulfilled (laughs) the goal should be you feel fulfilled and then you get to do something that you enjoy right so i think this i think fun employment is kind of a fun a cool way to put that because i think it is a gift because you will work again Mm -hmm. and you will get busy again and then at a certain point you'll be like fuck i really wish i could just (laughs) i'm glad you believe that because i've been having all kinds of anxiety about never working again it's not like you 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 will (laughs) well that's another thing why the D is really helpful because it's creative it's it's mine you know like in terms of the D, i'm not a brick in the wall it's my wall right you know and everybody else and we're all kind of collaborating to build this wall that kind of comes off of my blueprint and that's a really exciting place to be because for most of my acting work by the time anything gets to me so much of it has been designed already that for me it's really about how do i fit into this as seamlessly as possible and as as strong as i can and that's you know? where the that's where the that's where the big stuff comes through. It's yeah. like, you know, when you spend so much time trying to fit into other people's infrastructure, right. trying to get jobs, trying to be the right person for right. friends to like you, right. trying to be the – but when you embrace who you are and embrace what you are excited about, then that's where ma- magical things happen. That's, you know, everything that I created started because of that. You look at the critical role people mm-hmm. and it's like – you know, Absolutely. they weren't working a ton before Critical Role, so they had this free time to embrace this thing that they loved, and then all of a sudden, they made that becomes the thing that is enormous. Yeah. And it's like if they had been focusing on trying to fit into other people's things, they they all they're all talented. They would have worked, right? But would it have been as special as this thing? Maybe not. Probably right. not. Right. You know, and now. 
So that's why I think these moments are gifts because you really get to exp- like rather than think about how I fit into other people's things and get people to like me and get people to hire me. What do I like? What do, what do I what am I going to enjoy? And I think that's where the magical stuff comes from. Yeah. So there's a this time you have is a gift. <laughs> you know, uh, honestly, you shouldn't you shouldn't be you shouldn't feel anxiety or terrified by yeah. it. You're, you know. I'm seeing a lot of theater. You know, previously with my job, I wasn't able to see very much because mm-hmm. you never knew when you were working. And right. I don't want to put down $200 for a ticket to something that suddenly I can't make. Right. Um, so, yeah. So that's been great. Kind of rediscovering my excitement for that. I've been reading a lot of plays. And- talking about them on Twitter. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Well, maybe the book you write will be a play. Maybe. Maybe it's a play. Maybe I'll write a play. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> the possibilities are endless. <laughs> the possibilities are limitless. <sighs> you can do whatever you want. Do it, and we'll all play 12-year-olds. That's not a bad idea. No. Isn't that the... Isn't that the the idea behind Pen Fifteen? Yes, and there was actually there is a there's a there's a play currently out. No, 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 it's a but recently where that's it as well, where they're all kids, adults playing themselves as kids. That's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so, what else are you guys doing? What what else is going on? We have three dogs. That that's really what the fun employment is about: is taking care of three dogs. Did I see three dogs when I was at your place, or did you? No, we got yeah. we got, we, we adopted two from Puerto Rico last. Yeah, yeah. they came in October. October of the year before. Year before, Um, but they were at daycare when you came over for that. Oh, oh, right, because a a lot of people. It might have been a bit much for them. Yeah, I thought you meant for the podcast. No, 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 for the for the for the barbecue. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, we so we got those two. They're about a year and a half, and then we've got a five year old dog. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, they're all sick right now. (laughs) No. Yeah. Oh boy! <laughs> what about with the dogs? Hey guys, yeah. come on. Who's with me? Anybody? What? Who's with me? No. What were you talking about? Like how how much our lives revolve around poop, and that doesn't even include yeah. our own. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Other creatures' poop is so a huge part of our lives. So much poop. Oh my god! That's the name of our. <laughs> so much poop. So much poop. Embrace my the poop. play. Yeah, but not. <laughs> you don't want to embrace the poop during a cartwheel. <laughs> no. That creates a really. That's a problem. That's an art. That's, that's a viral video. That's an art. It's a literal viral video. That's an art installation. Is what that is. Oh boy. Are you guys traveling at all? I mean, I just went to New York for a week for meetings in theater and stuff like that and see my family because that's where I'm from. EJ's going to go for a quick trip now. But again, with three dogs, you don't travel a ton. I just – I enjoy you both as a couple so much because (laughs) I've known EJ for so long. Yeah. My friend Mike Furman and I did some of his first benefits. You did my very first. Did I do the very first one? It was at Iowa West, right? Iowa West in 2004. Yeah. That's before we met. You've known EJ longer than I have. I have. Yeah. Yeah. And you and Furman did. Potentially not as intimately, but. Well, Well, maybe some stuff we didn't tell you about. Yeah. 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 It was 2004, you know, like. No iPhones. No iPhones. Just yeah, we weren't, you know, it was, it was a wild time. It was a crazy time. Yeah, that benefit was that benefit was really fun. Well, the one you did was really interesting because, like, Lisa Lampanelli was in it, Blaine Capatch was in it. So funny. Uh, uh, who else? Matt Besser was mm-hmm. in it. Uh, there were so many good, good lineup people. Yeah. Mo Collins did, and so many good people. Andy Daly. And how's the, how, how's the research going? Uh, I'd like it to go better but it's going okay i guess uh i'm not you know in the mix or anything but um uh they're doing human trials i hear they're on uh clinical uh, trials for the second stage of clinical trials for people and 
I'm looking. I'm thinking of looking into seeing if I'm eligible mm-hmm. to get in, involved. Um, I'm going blind. I don't know. Should we set this up? <laughs> yeah, we should tell people. <laughs> Am I, do I pronounce it right? Choroideremia. Perfect. Yeah. 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 Perfect. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going blind from an eye disease called choroideremia. It's degenerative and hereditary. And uh, my family, my brother has it. He's legally blind now. I have two nephews that have it. My grandfather was blind. Uh, but I've been doing uh, uh, fundraisers and raising money since uh, 2003. And doing like marathons. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Ran over the ran all over the world. And we do a lot of cool auctions and stuff because you know people that I work with are always great famous. and supportive. <laughs> well, but they give us a lot of cool stuff and sign a lot of cool stuff. You've signed stuff for us mm-hmm. and things. So we always have cool stuff we're selling. And oh, I'll then, do anything for you guys. Anything you want. Uh, anything that's helpful, I will do. And then, uh, you know, and then all that money goes to supporting the research. Vincent D'Onofrio signed after a two-hour oh interview, signed for like a half an hour, tons of stuff for him. What a nice guy. That's really cool. Yeah, really cool. That That's really, really cool. And so, well, I, I hope, uh, if, if people want to find out more about... Um, the, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go to curechm.org. And that's a Corderemia Research Foundation mm-hmm. uh, website, and you can donate and learn more there. Thank you for yeah. letting me plug yeah. that. Oh, my God, of course. You can also, the Foundation Fighting Blindness is doing a lot of good yeah, work yeah. as well. They cover all the, all, any, the all, all spectrums of eye eye issues. Now, is it is it basically, does, do I remember correctly that it's basically like your peripheral vision becomes more and more, yeah. it's like you start to lose, yeah. Kind like of, looking through straws or something. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. Uh, I'm not quite at the straw Width yet, but I'm I'm getting there. It's more like you know, if you cup your hand, it's more like that, and you look through it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what you're doing is pretty awesome. Pretty cool. It is though. I mean, again, it's it's just the it's the idea that you are taking something and trying to do something good with it, and I feel like. Um, I was just thinking about this today that when we feel bad about things that are going on in our lives or we feel bad about ourselves, you know, what one option is you try to get other people to make you feel better, mm. which is something of, that's very human. It's something that mm. we all do and there's nothing wrong with that. But I also find that when you feel bad, when you try to do stuff for other people, it actually makes you feel better than if you just were having other people try to make you feel better <laughs> about yourself. And you've done so much good stuff for, for the research and for other people. Thank you. Thank you. I, well, I, it, it has helped me, you know, I, I get strangers asking me for advice who hmm. have this disease or who know somebody that has it. Uh, and they go, well, you know, what do you do? I always say two things I always say is get therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and be proactive hmm. and, you know, do something. You may not raise a million dollars. But at least you'll feel like, oh, at least I'm doing something. Right. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll say this is a side effect. Um, so we met on Match. Well, that. <laughs> we met on Match.com back in 2007. The beta version. <laughs> the beta version of Match.com. Match. Good luck, Match. <laughs> we think. Maybe. Um, uh, and I'll say this. You know, he was very, very open and honest about his condition and the way that he was dealing with it in his profile. And not that I wouldn't have you know, thought he was attractive or something if he hadn't put that in there. But that really spoke to me. And I said, oh, here's a guy who's really honest. He's really open. And that was an attractive quality. So, like, you got a, kind of got a girlfriend out of it. <laughs> but I wasn't like that right away. When I got diagnosed when I was 27. So it took me about a year to process it all and 
start telling people. It took me maybe a year or two to actually start telling people. And when I was mm. doing those benefit shows, it took me a couple of benefit shows before I was on stage and say, I have this. That's why I'm doing right. it. Uh, you know, I would do those benefit shows and people would be like, why are you doing that? And what is this thing with the super complicated name? You know, I didn't name it. One of the benefits is called like, Hard to pronounce, harder to cure, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. It's like comedians will make something out of it. Tim Jennings came up with that. Yeah, yeah I'll give plug to him. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's 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 it's. I think ownership is important, and when you when you feel like you have that secret or embarrassed or, or ashamed, yeah. you know, my my nephews they just got told a few months ago that they have it, and they're ten and fourteen now. Oh my gosh! And. Uh, and that was something that was really hard for my sister to kind of wrap her head around. She was hoping for a cure by now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, we've known that it was possible that she'd pass that on for their entire lives, you know. Um, so it's, 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 I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of openness and honesty. So there's like corridoremia groups on Facebook and stuff. And I'm usually telling people that are new to it, I said, just, just try to, Try to have a home environment that's open and honest, and and that you can talk to each other very openly about it. Yeah, and go I get always like sometimes when like we're hanging out with friends with kids or something, and they'll see EJ with his cane, they'll be like, "What's this?" and they want to play with it. And mm-hmm. I've, I've always been really impressed. Said, Don't touch it. <laughs> Back off, kid. It's a swatting stick. <laughs> no, the opposite. I've always been really impressed with how you sort of just very calmly, because it's a scary thing to kind of try to explain to someone, you know, especially a young person and. You've been really cool about it. Well, it's funny. When I walk through the streets and I hear kids with their yeah. parents saying, Why do you have that stick or something yeah. like that? And the parents are like, Well, because he has a, just mm-hmm. needs it because of, you know, a lot of them are very calm. And some of them just go, Don't, don't point. Don't stare. Don't point. Yeah. Don't look. Stop it. <laughs> You're like, Hey, you know, I can still hear you. <laughs> Fucking maybe don't do that next to a guy, kid. That's the lesson. That's been an interesting thing, though, to learn as well is how, again, sort of like binary our thoughts are about blindness and and disability in certain areas that like, so EJ still has some vision centrally. That Mm -hmm. doesn't mean he doesn't have all the struggles that come with it. But how many people will see him like look at his phone on the street with his cane and be like and get confused or angry or think he's faking. And it's just a really complex issue that we don't talk about very much yeah i mean this goes back to uh, fuck everyone <laughs> well. being judgmental yeah it's like stolen valor or something yeah. it's like, hey what are you doing what yeah. is that yeah i just saw you look at something yeah, yeah. uh number one not your business number two <laughs> right. not asking you for anything right. number three not I your business you want me to use it yeah. <laughs> uh, but i but i also get it a little bit because before before i was diagnosed i would see people with canes and they were able to look at something and I was always fascinated by blindness because my grandfather was blind mm-hmm. so but he was fully blind the whole time I knew him um, so I was I always thought like oh they, they're using this stick you know I there's not enough education about blindness is, is the long and short of it, even like my own family. Or just curiosity. I think curiosity so- solves so much stuff. So rather than having a, de- a determination and feel like you know something already, curiosity. Like, Well, yeah. I mean, again, it's sort of like what you said before. And it, and it, and it is – this is for everything. Conversation mm. is the cure. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's like you – I mean, it's the cure for ignorance. Mm. You have conversations. You're able to discuss but you have to be curious in order to have conversations. Yeah. And I find that people are can be quicker to judge than to have conversations. Yeah. I mean, you. I really do believe that 
empathetic, intelligent people, when a situation arises, empathetic, intelligent people will always ask questions first. And arrogant people will tell you what they think. <laughs> you can always tell. It's like maybe someone comments on an Instagram post or something <laughs> and they just, they'll tell you why this thing that you posted is dumb. or It's right. like you didn't ask any questions about this. Yeah. Yeah. I'm guilty of that too. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone is. Like it's yeah. a very human thing because we're trying to sort through so much information yeah. and it requires a lot of energy to ask questions. It requires a lot of energy to take each individual situation with its own merits and to dive deep. And it's easier, yeah. especially as we get older and more overwhelmed with information, it's just easier to just make judgments right. and just tell people what you think. But empathetic, intelligent people will always ask questions I first. also think 140 characters is a lot easier to make a statement than to ask a question. 280, well, it's 280, it Deb. Gosh. Oh, my I mean, God. You know, well, now we can ask questions. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, for all the wonderful things that social media has given us in terms of connection and being able to be involved with a more diverse group of people and share experiences with a larger group of people, you know, all those things are really positive. I mean, our auctions wouldn't be nearly oh. as successful oh, as they could like be. Over $500,000. Yeah. I wouldn't have to it. So, yeah. So, it's social. We're incredibly grateful and, and impressed with social media. But it also encourages all encourages us all to think that our everyone wants to know what we think about everything. Yeah. You know, it encourages that idea. And I do think we're, we're slowly being eaten alive by me versus you. Yes. Um, Yes, that's how the robots take over. They yes. have to isolate us first. <laughs> yes. They isolate us first and keep us from chunking together and then uh, and then we're easy to pick off. Yeah. This is the, like we're in the ro the robot apocalypse isn't a terminator <laughs> stepping on a skull in a field of human bones. Oh. It's we're in it we now. We do it for it's we like do it the, to ourselves. We're in the AI apocalypse right now. We're all being divided and uh, What would that what would that social media look like if it's just robots running everything? <laughs> do they have opinions well, or is it just fact based? Well, I don't know, but I think was it Google? Someone basically turned on an AI, and I think there was actually, uh, I think there was an episode of was it Bobcat's show, Monsters and Mad Men, about it, or was it a Black Mirror? Anyway, there was a there was an AI that um, they turned on, and there were two AIs, and they very quickly start like created their own language mm. to like. You know, I'm not saying to keep the humans out, but basically it kept the humans out and they Im immediately shut it off. They're like, oh, yeah, this thing is already communicating in an efficient, in a much, in a, in a completely different way. And so it would be a language that we wouldn't recognize. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, what's the equivalent to a dick pic for a robot? <laughs> <laughs> Zeros and ones. It's a, a handful of screws. It's <laughs> yeah. a nut pick. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's the, it's the old ASCII art where you basically form a dick out of like commas yeah. and parentheses. You know, I think that's I think that's probably what it is. Ah. It goes back to the early days of where oh we could load pictures, so we had to create ASCII-based. Uh, but, you know, but that's interesting, though, because I mean, I, girls, boys, boys have been doing that forever. When I was a kid and there was no internet, they drew dicks on everything. They yeah. just drew them. Yeah. 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 Now that, you don't have a technology, so you don't have to draw them anymore. Guys are fucking chimps. Like, <laughs> well, they're just, you're obsessed with penises. It's the only thing we have. Well, what would it be like, you know, was it Freud or ever talked about penis envy from women? I was like, no, boys are the only people who talk about their penis. It's literally the only thing we have to offer. <laughs> we have nothing else to offer. We, we, we're, we're, our, our thoughts are very linear and simple. <laughs> like, we don't, you know, like, we can't think about more than one thing at a time. We don't have complex thoughts. It's just like, I am you know, it's definitely. I mean, I almost feel like, you know, once 
you know, once the you could just take sperm out of us and, and like in <laughs> no. a mat and not have to, you know, like I'm not sure we're gonna have much use. Uh, I don't know. EJ has complex thoughts. I think. Well, I was just thinking, how can we get a, a penis on the alien from the meltdown? <laughs> Is there a way to do that? Yeah, yeah. Just see the little top up there. there you go. Like if you just if you just draw like a little slit like right here, <laughs> then, then, then that's that's how it is. It took me less than three seconds to, to figure, figure that, that out. out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but that's just you know so much of our identity revolves around that area that I think we just. You know, it's like that's literally what we. I don't know. I have no desire world. to draw vaginas on things. I like that. Just that doesn't even occur to me. Me neither. <laughs> you know, and my original in our original because we have a guest book, which is a now a Zelda themed guest book. But this is the third podcast guest book. The first one was this Chewbacca guest mm-hmm. book that we called Chewbacca, and mm-hmm. it's the um, you know everyone from that couple of years signed it and. Clive Barker drew a giant penis because it's Clive Barker right. and a lot of his art. Really, if you've ever, I, mean, I do the podcast from his house and there's just like paintings of dicks everywhere. Wow. And so it's just a part of his art. It's very phallic. And the but next. George O'Keefe did that. Lord. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's an example from the other half of the, well, the gene. So, so this should make you happy then because <laughs> the, like, the next handful of people because Clive Barker drew on a dick they all drew their own version of dicks okay. and then Gillian Anderson was on the podcast and she was like fuck this and then drew a giant vagina love it and it was I like it. it was the for lack of a better word the period at the end of the, <laughs> of all of these dicks because no one drew anything after that like she had the definitive everyone was like well, I can't follow this uh, and so I love I, it yeah so but I, when I was at USC, you know, all of the fountains are very phallic. You know, it's all water shooting up in the air. And it's the Trojans. And it's the Trojans. <laughs> yeah. But outside of the theater building, we had a Yonic fountain. We had a fountain that went in and all the water sort of fell in. Oh, I, was, that's, I was very proud of that's that. That's really cool. The Yonic fountain. That's really cool. <laughs> so what we've learned is that um, we're going to start drawing vaginas <laughs> yes. on everything. That's yeah, the new wave. The new feminist we... wave is to just draw vaginas <laughs> draw on Draw vaginas things. on everything. <laughs> I think that'd be fun. I will also so I also want to reinvent the word bitchin'. You remember when bitchin' was a cool thing? Yes. You'd be like, that car is bitchin'? Yeah. That needs to be what bitch means again. Like, I want a bitch cave. Yeah. Right? And, and it'd be a- like this awesome place to hang out in my bitch cave. <laughs> we can make it happen. I almost joked on that. That was really funny. <laughs> right? You should make a... And your bitch cave would have D&D stuff in it, I would mm-hmm. imagine. It'd have D&D stuff in it. It'd have all of my MSTs. I'm not a big gack person, so it would be a very small bitch cave. <laughs> okay, sure, 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 sure. But it does my camping stuff. I keep my camping stuff in my bitch cave. You can, it, you know, it's your bitch cave. You can have right. anything you want. Anything in I it. want. You can literally have any. That's. You, I can have the, airship you, themed wallpaper. It, the, <laughs> now, yeah, yeah, our, our airship themed wallpaper, our steampunky wallpaper, but. If you do another season of Relics and Rarities, yeah. could you would you say welcome to the bitch cave or is it too <laughs> is it it's so it's so cuz it's pretty fancy like your set's real I fancy. No, we are a real fancy set. Um I don't know. I mean, I don't know. The curio shop so much of what I was trying to do with that is to give kind of a feminine twist on it. So mm-hmm. it's not a tavern, it's a cur- it's an antique store. Yeah. And, you know that like Adventure comes from everywhere. I don't have anything against taverns, but like I don't drink, so that's not something that I think is interesting for me. So I wanted it to be in a place where it was the last place you'd ever expect there to be magic. Um, But then, like, so your grandmother, I said it should look like your grandmother's attic. And, you know, you go in your grandmother's attic, you're like, this is all junk. Why don't you just throw this all away? And then she takes it to Antique Roadshow and makes $4,000. So, like, there's value in things that don't look 
valuable. Well, you might, again, and that's how you that's how you DM the game too. Yeah. So you know, your grandmother might have a magic spool of thread. Totally. And how, how would you know unless you took it? The out Curio and tried Shop it. is gra- Curio Shop is a great setting because that like every object is magical in some yeah. way, and that and you look around like I'm obsessed with antiques because everything. <laughs> I love anything that has a story, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and has lived a life. And we are essentially, you know, I mean, I think most people buy stuff and they think, like, this is mine forever. And I look at everything that I have as, like, I, I'm a curator of this stuff yeah. for in this for this period of time. And then hopefully someone else will pass it, like, will get it. And they will curate it mm-hmm. and then pass it and curate it and pass it. Now, that's sort of... You know, that's sort of ignoring that in 50 years or 100 years, the things that are new now will then be antiques. Right. But um, I just love the idea that that every everything has some sort of a story behind yeah. it. Whether even if it's not old, at least that it's handmade or, you know, I buy a lot of stuff on Etsy for that reason as well. <laughs> so it's just the curio shop is a great setting for storytelling because literally every object yeah, has a story. Has a story. One, and I have this, you know, the idea is that Professor Rowland was the premier editor on the Compendium of Curiosities, which is basically a collection of relics and rarities, wonderful things that she sent adventurers out to do research on. So what it does is it gives me a starting place for kind of any adventure I could ever want to do because you can just pick an item out of the compendium and I can create an adventure about how to go find it. I mean, you could have any, any you could yeah. start every episode with an object yeah. from the curio shop just and say, say this. This is the thing and we need more of it or somebody's going to get the other half and, you know, whatever it is and you've got an adventure out of that. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, it's a really nice little sort of melting pot of story to go from. And it's like kind of creepy but also kind of beautiful and um, I don't know. I, I love that name. I was like, there's a secret in my descriptions of the curio shop because we didn't know exactly how we were going to do the set. But in my descriptions, I said, so the storefront looks very ordinary, but there's this secret door that leads to her back storeroom. And, you know, that's the, like where, where we'll play. And they actually built me a secret bookcase that's that like great. flips out and everything when you pull a book. And, Everyone should have a secret bookcase. <laughs> right? Uh, again, like childhood wonderfulness. Like when I was a kid, all I ever wanted was like a tiny little like kid-shaped door that you could crawl through and have a secret little play space. And so I, I wrote that into the first adventure in Bentham Manor. I have a tree on the wall that you knock on it and you have to tell it a knock-knock joke and then it'll open and you can crawl through into a secret little Oh, that's play fantastic. Space. But then if you're Coraline, then you walk into Button Eye World, <laughs> which is a very dangerous place to yes, be. Yes, it is. Do you remember, because you were about the same age, you remember Webster? That show? You mean with Emmanuel Lewis? Yeah. Of course. Uh, no. But yeah. I'm, just thinking, I'm just thinking because, wasn't it strange? Now I'm thinking about of it. He had like secret passages in his house in that show. Do you remember that? I kind of don't remember. Like, I remember watching the show, but I don't remember exactly what happened on the show. I remember the actors on the show. So he he just basically crawled through the house. Yeah, like a, like a, if you move the clock, there mm-hmm. was like a ladder. See, I get, love like that. Stuff like that. Batman has the has his secret. You know, you pull the cave, head yeah. and he goes down the pole to the Batcave. Yeah, um, you know, Nancy Drew is all about hidden staircases. And um, what was the other one I was just thinking about? Um, Oh, Clue, the game Clue, where you can go from the conservatory through the walls into the other, you know. John Wayne Gacy. No. <laughs> I mean, it can be very... He was a child at heart, right? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> God damn it. Uh, I mean... <laughs> yeah, no, awful. <laughs> oh, I'm still choking on that one, too. God, a, lot of, a lot of choking, Deb. A lot of choking Sorry. today. No, no, no. It's all... It's great. It's all great. I'm so delighted. Oh, I guess we should probably... 
Is there any kind of daredevil stuff you want to oh. uh, like now that that's <laughs> I know I've seen a, I've seen a lot I've seen a lot of like save daredevil Yeah yeah I mean oh my god I mean it's it's very you know I I it's so I'm so grateful that people are so excited about it I really don't know what the chances are of that happening so I I think for me I've kind of stayed away from that just cuz I don't know I'm I'm mourning a little bit you know like that that it felt like that got kind of I got kind of the rug pulled out from underneath underneath me a little bit because the third season, we were all so proud of it. And we were so certain when we finished that we'd be doing a fourth. So I kind of had my mind wrapped around that. And then when Iron Fist and Luke got canceled, I went, mm, I don't, you know, like I, it started to feel like this isn't, this isn't about strength of show or anything like that. This is about, you know, we're, we're moving on and putting our energy on something else. And um, so I had a feeling and then it happened and I kind of was okay, but I didn't get to say goodbye. You know, like normally you'd get everyone's emails and you'd steal something from the set, mm-hmm. you know, do that kind of stuff. And I, I didn't get to do that because I really, you know, we really thought we were coming back at the end. Um, so my process right now has been kind of one of, of gratitude and just saying I'm so happy for this experience and for the friends that I made. And um, I'm really trying to steer clear of any kind of anger or... I don't want to say hope, but it's it's better for me to see it as something in the past and be grateful for it and move on. I think it would be unhealthy for me to try to hold on to it tightly. Because it doesn't matter what you have no control. I have over no it. control over zero. It. And and again, yeah. we it's so easy to because the business that we're in is expressed through a creative mm-hmm. medium. We forget that it is a business first, yeah, yeah. and they and that things happen. And in that case, I really do think there are bigger, like Disney Marvel things that are happening politically that have nothing to do with the the. Yeah, I'll the say it, it's really nice to to get canceled and it not be because you suck, right? <laughs> you know? Right, like, right. We knew we gave a great season, and we know that that's not why any of this happened. And and look, I'm not in on any of those conversations. So, like, I you know. This this could be exactly the right decision for Netflix and Marvel to make. You know, mm-hmm. I, I have no opinion on that. All I know is that I, I didn't kind of get to say goodbye to my friends the way that I and the show and, and Karen and Matt. You know, the last time I saw Matt Murdock, I didn't know that was the last time. And I'll see Charlie again. But that's – I don't know. If you're an actor, you understand that that's a little different. It's a little right. different than seeing Matt Murdock and, and being – you know, being with him and – so yeah, so it just it's just taking some adjustment, and I think if I hold on to it, I'll be miserable. So <laughs> there's nothing, you know. It's better just to it is better to appreciate the experience yeah. because also now you're open for something that you you know exactly. You know, I I this is the first time I get to really go. Hey, you know, what did I when I was that twelve year old kid or younger? What was I dreaming about? What did I want to do? And I actually have the time to kind of pursue that now. Yeah, because every thing that in the moment seems like, oh, this sucks, or I lost this thing, or I shouldn't, you know, you still don't know. My mom has this thing. She's like, you never know the end of the story. Mm. So whatever the next thing that you do, whether it's something you create, this play that you're going to write, or a book, (laughs) or another job or something, you're going to go, fuck, if I, you know, like I had this wonderful experience on this other thing, if I had still been doing that, that would have been fine. Yeah. But I would not have been able to have this. Yes. Um, So... You know, I just think it's I, – I really do think that things net out positively if you're open to them. Yeah, I believe that as well. And, and you know, losses are like, – like we've been talking about with grade school and stuff. Any kind of tough experience or loss is something you learn and grow from. And, you know, the next time this happens, I'll have a little more experience with how to handle it. And 
Well, you guys are just the fucking cutest kids. Adorable. You're so cute. <laughs> Both you of you. Are. <laughs> well, you you, should, you need to come over to our house. Yeah. And, um, uh, I got to go there once. That was cool. Oh yeah, that's right. What New Year's? Oh, for New Year's, that's right. Yeah, you were out of town. New York. Yeah. No, she was at. No, she was. No, you weren't. You oh, were, wasn't I? Was no, here? we were entertaining in our house. Oh. And so you were prepping, so I could only go to your place. For oh, like oh, oh, that's right, that's, that's right. That's right. That's so right. That's really crooked. But you guys had like a fire. <laughs> like something was on fire. There was a lot oh my of God. smoke a couple of years ago. Oh yeah, mm, <laughs> that was my fault. <laughs> we have, you know, our house is very old, and one of the things we have in the house, which is. Such a cool thing. It's a it's a cabinet that it, when you open it up, it's a warming oven. So you can keep stuff cool. warm. But it's like a 1920s warming oven. And so it uh, – I had put <laughs> – I had put pizza boxes in it because I didn't think it got that hot. And the pizza box like touched one of the coils. Oh, no. And then this black smoke started billowing out. And uh, that was on me. And it and the warming oven smelled like a trash fire oh, for a year and a no. half. It only just recently stopped smelling like a like a fire. The whole place was filled with smoke. When I, I remember. <laughs> Still sore. I was wondering, like, I didn't know the ending of that night. I was like, what would happen at the what happened at the rest of the night? Lydia was very understanding about that, and she, you know, like. And I was over a barrel on that one because it was a thousand percent my fault. It was it was just one of those things where I was like, I'm dumb. Why did I think that was a good idea? And like, it, you don't even have to have that much empirical data to know that that's a bad idea. And yet I fucking shoved a pile of pizza boxes in there like, they'll keep it warm. Simple linear yeah. thought, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right I was too busy probably drawing dicks on probably something to focus dicks. on that <laughs> paper catches fire. And uh, fire always beats paper. Fire always beats paper. This is true. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and she was like, oh, so um, you thought that would be a good idea. I know I was not really thinking that one through. Uh. So, uh, yes, so you should come back when the, when I have not tried to There's set the no house. Smoke. Uh, on fire and really renovated house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Thankfully, we didn't have to do any fire renovation. Uh, it was just contained to the warming oven, but it's all everything's all okay now. So uh, yes, please, please, please come over sometime. Um, Lid says hi and yeah, uh, yeah, you know, hi back. I'm just so happy. I'm so I'm so pr- I'm so excited and proud for you know that you chose the path that you chose Thank that you were able to. Do something positive with uh, with all that stuff. No, we're all doing the best we can. We really are. Yeah. Even the assholes. Even the assholes. It doesn't Absolutely. mean you have to like what they do, yeah. and it doesn't mean, but just know that everyone is is trying to do the best. Most people are trying to do the best that they can. Most people are trying. There are some chaotic evil pricks <laughs> in the world who are who just want to destroy the world and and put pizza boxes and ovens, ovens on purpose. Mm-hmm. Mine was an accident, but uh, but outside of that small percentage yeah, of people, actually, that's a seriously chaotic good moment. Actually, I'm trying to do this good thing, get the pizza boxes out of the way so no one has to see them. But oops, wrong decision. <laughs> I saw a meme for chaotic good once that said chaotic good people will slash your tires to keep you from driving home drunk. And I was like, perfect description. That really is the perfect. Good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I will break a rule yes. to try to, yeah. Save your life. And in the end, and you might not understand my methods, but in the end, <laughs> I'll probably do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's the best alignment. Yeah. It's a fun uh, one. May, may I plug something? Oh. Please. Uh, you were talking about running earlier. 
there's a documentary about my runs I did in 2012. I did 12 marathons in 12 states in 12 months, blindfolded. Mm-hmm. And it's called Running Blind. And you can find it on iTunes, digital copies on iTunes, uh, Amazon, uh, Google Play, and I think even YouTube. And you can rent it for like two bucks and watch this documentary. And uh, money goes to a good cause. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. And I'm sorry that I, I should have set up a third mic for you, EJ. I didn't. I didn't but <laughs> I think you're being. I think you're being picked up on this on the external Zoom. So you should be. So you should be all good. So you should be all good. <laughs> all right. So I was just gonna watch. No, I know. But it's. But I'm not. But you and I have been friends for so long. It's like as soon as you sat down, it's like well, I'm not gonna not talk to EJ. He's right there. You know. And anything. Anything to help. I keep with, going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. I have something to say. Hey, motherfucker, I'm right over here. <laughs> so, uh, uh, Why and is it- everyone so interested in my girlfriend? <laughs> 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 so, and so honestly, anything, anything that we can do to help out the, about the cause, you know, yes, you know, please, you know, we'll you. do. Thank you very much. You got it. Okay. Um, thank you for being here. This is fun. Yes. And, oh, and relics and rarities. Yes. We've got great guests. Um, I'll go ahead and go through the lineup. We've got, um, uh, Matthew Lillard in the first episode, Sam Richardson, who you'll know from Veep and Detroiters on our second episode. Third episode is Charlie Cox, who very generously came, the daredevil himself. Uh, fourth is Janina Gavankar, who was on True Blood yeah, and is Janina. still a good friend of mm-hmm. mine and plays D&D with me a lot. Uh, then Kevin Smith for his first time ever playing Dungeons and Dragons. That's kind of mind-bendy. I Isn't find that, that cool? hard to believe. He was amazing. I'm sure he was. As, like a, as an incredible example of someone who has, has no idea how to play the game but like dove in he's all enthusiasm you know all enthusiasm had great ideas he was great and then our finale is with Simone Missick Misty Knight fantastic by the way I interviewed Kevin for my podcast recently and I'll be Mm -hmm. up in a couple weeks scratch the surface three and a half hour interview (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) unsurprisingly Three and a half hours. That's incredible. It yeah. sure is. <laughs> oh my god, that's a long time in the kitchen. <laughs> no, at his house. Oh, you were at his house. So you went yeah. to Kevin's house. Okay, good. Well, this too for relics and rarities. We we really tried to make it, like we said, accessible. So even if you have no idea what all the dice rolling is about, it should still be a really fun just story to follow and try to guess what you think the players are going to do. Uh, and so, relics and rarities is available on Twitch and YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, rolling out uh, not all the episodes are up yet but they gotcha. will gotcha excellent excellent mm-hmm. well thank you so much for being thank here you. it's good to see you good both fun. good to see you thanks yeah. for having us alright and scene and scene <laughs> this is Word Salad Wrap for the episode 990 you've just listened to Deborah Ann Wool and uh, Mr. E.J. Scott who sat in and uh, yeah something came up in the podcast that I, I kind of wanted to expand upon which is the idea of I, and I think where it really sort of nets out is be careful what you wish for, right? You always hear, you know, like it's just that warning, that Faustian clause, be careful what you wish for. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact – like when, when, whenever you see any of the sort of Faustian clause, uh, Twilight Zone style uh, movies, television shows, whatever, where someone – goes, oh, I just wish for this thing. And then the wishes go horribly wrong. It's sort of the monkey paw, you know? It's the wishes come with terrible consequences. I think what that really... I think the underpinning of that is um, when you're trying to rabidly seek things that you think will make you feel better, the lesson there is maybe you should appreciate things that you have. Um, now, that's not to say that you might not be in a horrible situation that you wish you didn't have to deal with. Of course, there are always exceptions. There are horrible things that people don't choose that befall them. And you know, I'm not saying that you you shouldn't want to wish your way out of a horrible situation. 
But this is more in line with like when people wish for external things that they think are going to make their lives complete or complete them in some way or make them feel better. And because anything that you get, anything that grows, and we touched upon this in the podcast, anything that grows, anything that gets bigger, anything that gets more substantial comes with, guess what? More responsibility and more problems, you know? Uh, It's always the things that you don't foresee. It's like you get more of something and that means you get more of everything, you know, like more of the positive and more of the negative that comes along with it. And so I think the lesson there is like, you know, what – and it's not – I'm not saying don't wish for things ever, don't want to improve your situation, don't – you know, it's okay to want things. But I'm also just saying, you know, is it possible that maybe you somewhere in your life have some of the things that you think you don't have? But with a minor perspective shift, you would see that you already have those things. Something I've talked about a lot, but I think it's very important because we're constantly – looking for external things to solve internal crises but maybe maybe those external things wouldn't necessarily make your life better you know i mean how many times when you were a kid did you want a christmas present a toy and you're like my life's gonna be fucking amazing after i get this micro mr microphone that lets me broadcast my voice through a radio now i'm a lot older than you probably and that was a very popular toy in the late 70s early 80s that i wanted and uh you could talk into the microphone and it would it would connect to the it would broadcast through an fm band on your radio or an am band on your radio and you could hear your voice coming through the radio i thought my life's gonna be perfect after I get this thing and then you get the Christmas present and it's fine and you play with it a couple times and then that's it you put it in a box you don't ever think about it again so I I guess my point is like do you have do you already have things in your life that you could be grateful for that maybe somehow are giving you this thing that you need or are there ways that you could be who you are and appreciate yourself so that you wouldn't feel like you needed external things to kind of fill that hole because there's no thing shaped hole in your body. You know what I mean? In your soul, there's no thing shaped hole. There's not a thing that's going to make you complete or fix your life. Again, everything comes with responsibilities. Everything comes with more than you bargained for. So it's just to, you know, when you when you make that list of things that you think are going to make your life better, number one, nothing fixes you, uh, really. I, I mean, I don't think it does. That's just my opinion. And number two, um, do you definitely need all those things? Or from a different point of view, might you have some of those things that you think you don't have? It's just – that's all. It's just taking a second to think about it rather than just assuming that – external things are going to fix you or that a wish that you could make would create some sort of a bargain that's all that where you're going to win <laughs> where you're going to win at life because of the bargain and that's sort of the faustian clause it's like you trade your soul for something that you think is going to be better than your soul but ultimately it's not and your soul is really ultimately the best thing your soul being you and who you are and what you're passionate about and the things that you care about and the important things that life in life an external thing is not going to be better than those so just know that ultimately you are worth it 
anything in the world is not more worth it than you are. So that's what I'm trying to express to you today. I hope I did that in a clear way and not uh, a long, tired, rambly way, which is usually my default setting. Uh, But thanks so much. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening to Word Salad Wrap for episode 990. I hope you have a great week, and uh, I'll talk at you soon. ID10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. 